Good afternoon and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. I'm a certified, qualified West Side host, Steve Lucky Lucia. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's the greatest show on earth. It's the Hard Luck Show. Coming at you live from the bunker in Southern California, sitting across from me, my co-host, my partner, is Chumahan Bowen. American Indian, Southern Californian, elegant barbarian, here to bring you some fucking great fucking shows again. <laughs> yeah, come on. What you know about that? Yeah. What's up, guys? Yeah. All right. We're almost there. We're almost there. On sound, Sean Lewis. Sean Lewis, of course. Sean Lewis. Certified audio professional engineer for the hall. Love. Show. Yeah. Yeah! And who's the intern? Our intern, Special K, standing by right here with us to help us navigate through this. He's only smoked eight joints. (laughs) Right? Hey, man. Listen, that's right. Yeah! Special K. This is my song. Yeah. <laughs> Still hungover. Yeah, he's got that cocaine fever, man. Hey, be careful, bro. Cocaine fever. And yeah, here we are. Here All we are. Right, here, here we, we go. go. Here we go. Listen, you guys. Listen. I have been trying to get that guest on for a while. It's a gentleman I've worked. I worked with, uh, and we worked alongside each other as colleagues in the apparel business for, goddamn, over 20 years. Um, and we kind of watched each other operate from, from different avenues and eventually D kind of like, D just kind of does what he does. He like, he has all these different visions and levels and things that we're going to do. And he has all the, um, all the, um, position players, all the players on the team to put this thing together. And we, I guess he was kind of like, he was keeping us on some brands and the right guys to fit the right place. And we all came together and started working, um, about 10 years ago. All right, hey, name some of the brands because I know D's a very humble man. He's not going to brag, but, I mean, come on. Tell these young people. This guy's the founder and owner of 5-4 Denim. Better recognize. 5-4, man, which is just an L.A. great denim brand that grew and just, like, did amazing things. Him and his partner, Andres, are just, like, the smartest, some of the most talented and smartest guys I know. Let me just say it right now. This guy's on the show. I worked with the hundreds for a while. D, yeah, this guy, yeah, is so fucking good. Go and when I sit down with Bobby and Ben, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on a project with D. They're like, you know what? That motherfucker's so smart that when we have problems, we call him to figure out our problems. <laughs> right. That's what they said about D. And yeah. I was sitting with two guys that I thought were like, 
the smartest guy. And as time went by, I came to, like, I've learned so much from this dude, man. He's so fucking good at what he does. Um, and I try and, like, emulate guys like him, dude. And um, I wanted to have him on the show, man. He's a beast. He's he's like you are our, our other partner. He gets right. like that. He's just really, really, really focused. He's done marvelous things. He was the, he was really, like, the big, he was the motor that ran Young and Reckless. Right. You know, he was he was the, he was that guy and just manufacturing and production and style and quality and design and like these guys eat, breathe and live apparel, man. That's what these guys do. Yeah. I was wondering whose portrait that was that was hanging in Bobby's office. I said, Who the hell is that guy on the wall? <laughs> so I mean, okay, enough with the pump up. <laughs> Dean Murphy, I wanna welcome yeah! Dean Murphy to the show. Dude. What up? <laughs> what a warm welcome. Damn, D. And it's one of those things with D is like, I don't know, man. Like, they're, 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 as you know from histories of Steve Luciano in, in apparel and things, yeah. there's been some struggles with me. And I'm real open about a lot of struggles I had. And you know what, man? I struggled. And D, I would tell you guys right now, man, was, was, was the most patient person with me, man. Him, his brother, the whole team. And, um, you know, man, I, I I struggled, and he was really patient, and he really helped me. And D, he knows a lot of sides of me, and um, yeah. I learned so much at these brands, and I learned so much about being a businessman through this gentleman. You guys get it, get, granted, man. This guy's younger than me, right? Um, but he's he's just a just a really special dude. I'm glad you're here, D, to join us, man, today for this little talk, my man. Hey, D, what does it take? Let's just cut the bullshit and get right down to it. What does it yeah. take to be patient with a guy like Mr. Steve Lucky Luciano? I think it's understanding um, karma hmm. is actually the, the, the first step is because I'm sure many people uh, have been patient with me. Right. And so I have to like my parents, for example, and I think it's important that uh, you appreciate everyone's circumstance in life and you don't know in what position or why they're in that position. And if you don't take time to understand it, then you can't be a part of the solution. Then you continue to be the problem. It's it's like something that I'm, you know, a big uh, part of like my life has been understanding, for example, um, racism, where there are systemic things in society that have put certain groups of people behind. And that goes across all things. There's just systemic things in society that put people in unfair places and positions in life. So when you know they're talented and you know they work hard, why not take that extra effort to understand their situation and be patient with them? I mean, you, Lucky's a big part of the success of Young and Reckless. So if I wasn't patient with it, then I wouldn't. That wouldn't be fair to him because he was so instrumental in the early days of the brand to get us to where we were. Right. So I owed him at least that, at the very least. You know, it, I don't think I was doing. You know, he may look at it like it was the kindness of my heart, but I, I owed you. You know, you you had helped build the brand in the early days. It wouldn't have if you didn't get us into all those retailers that first day, you know, it may be a different brand today. Right. So um, first of all, how did you get the name D? So my full name is Guru Deep. 
Wait, wait, what? Guru Deep. Guru so, Deep? Yes. Wait a and, second. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Slow down. Because my name's Chumahan. So, <laughs> so we can do a weird name discussion and all that. <laughs> Only weird in certain cultures, not weird in other cultures, right? Correct. Okay. So Guru Deep. Now, listen, we're in Southern California on the West Side. So if your name's Guru Deep, that's already like putting you in a great position, I feel like. I feel like there's a lot of new age people that will be like, oh, that's yes. Guru Deep. Well, if I was born today and that was my name, that would be my name all throughout life. In first grade, when they had to do roll call, they were like, Grundeep, Deep. They like, and I was like, my first grade teacher goes, I can't pronounce that. Your name is D. And that was my name. Damn. That's like Ellis Island, except you were born here and shit. That's fucked yeah. up. I was born in, I mean, I grew up in Granada Hills. It's not like right. I grew up in, in, <laughs> in like, minute, you know, like the middle of the country. I'm born in the valley and they can't pronounce names. Hey, was that one of those situations where like when they had like a, um, hold on one second. We're at my law firm. Make sure he takes that package. Thank you, sir. All right. Sorry. That's what happens when we got to do it during business hours. I got to also run the law firm while I'm doing the podcast. Hey, is it one of those situations when you had like a um, a substitute teacher and they would do the roll call and then all of a sudden there would be like a pause? Yes. And it was that. As soon that as was my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> I have that same thing. They'd be like, Bobby, Cindy. And then all of a sudden there'd be this pause and I'd be like, I'm here. Don't you try to fucking say it. I'm here, motherfucker. Um, but what does 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 Guru Deep have a meaning at all? Did I break out? Maybe I, I'm still hearing you. Can you hear us? I hear you. You paused for a second though on me. Uh, Steve was like fanning himself or something, so maybe that's what. Hey, does Guru Deep have a meaning? Does it mean anything? Well, so Guru in in, um, in my native tongue means teacher, and Deep means light. Damn, light teacher. Yeah, uh, yeah, shit, yeah bro. Light. I, I see a new brand coming into uh, existence. Now, D, yeah. tell, tell, you know. Wait, 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 wait. Can, can we just do this name thing for a second? Yeah, I like sure, it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just, one American Indian to another American Indian. I just want to talk about some fucking, you know, crazy name shit. Yeah, go ahead. So, okay, so, so, so light teacher. I love that. Um, now, Chumahan is Sklalem. That's American Indian from the, the, the Europeans that got the wrong. Uh, they thought they were in India, but they were in yeah. India. Right. So that means medicine bear. Chumahan. Wow. So I've had to deal with that, but I just went with it. I just kept going with it. Uh, on the reservation, it wasn't as much as a problem, but when I went to regular school, then it became a problem. Yeah. But, mine was, you know, growing up in public schools, you know, no one put any effort to under to even appreciate a diverse culture. It's just like whatever it is, you know, you just your name was your name, whatever they told you. Yet yeah, D is a great name because I mean that just fits perfectly into hip hop culture or whatever, right? Like D yeah, is great. Exactly. Oh yeah, that works for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve, you wanted to ask a question? I just wanted to like I want you guys, man, like you know, D, I just want you to kind of explain. You didn't get to apparel traditionally, you know. I know that you kind of you 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 went and you went on your path out of high school into college, and then like some things changed. I just want I just want some people to kind of understand a little bit about where you come, where you came from, and how you got into apparel, D. Yeah, it's 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 really random. So you know, I grew, I went to school in the in the valley in the suburbs of LA. Uh, did well in high school. 
I wanted to go my my whole life. I wanted to go to USC. I don't know why, but it was I was fixated on going to USC. I go to USC, and you know, I honestly was not challenged in college. It was like my first year of school. I did really well, and I was like mentally not challenged. It was such like it felt like I was wasting my time here. So I was like, this is my chance to like be an entrepreneur. And mm. so that was my freshman year of college was 1998. And it was the beginning of like the internet boom. And I was like, this is going to be the future. I want to go into technology. And I started my first business when I was in college. And I actually was able to raise money as an 18-year-old and ended up building a community for college and high school students online. This is 1998. This is six years before Facebook right. it was even created. Right. And I'd gotten 50,000 people on this site. There were not that many people on the internet back then. So I get this momentum and then 2000 hits and there's the bubble that burst. And my, the entire idea of the internet just like burst. And everyone was like, the internet's not going to last. It's over. (laughs) And I fed into that. And I was like, fuck the internet. The internet's done. I don't want... I don't want to do anything to do with the internet. And I'm Indian, right? right? Like we are the internet. (laughs) So, and so, and all my friends who were in the internet world were all like going on to get jobs at different companies that all became Google, Facebook, all these things. I was like, I need to be in something stable. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it, dude. The only dude, the only dude in America was like, you know what? I don't know what Google is. That doesn't even yes. sound like a business. Jesus no, because- Christ. I need something stable. I'm going to. Yeah. So what did you pick? So I, I was in the entrepreneurship program at USC. Right. And before your senior year of college, you have to write a business plan, a feasibility study on a business. And you have to focus on that business the entire year. Yeah. And I go to my friend who was actually working on the internet company with me. And I was like, dude, this internet bubble just bursted. We got to run from technology. Right. So I was like, let's do clothing. We know people will always have to wear clothes. So we end up, uh, interesting. I think what really inspired me was my partner was always really into fashion as, right. a, as a college student. And he goes, we took like a school trip to New York city and he takes me to fifth Avenue and bear in mind, like I never had money for clothes growing up and at USC I wore like free t-shirts signing up for credit cards. <laughs> and so I get, nice. I get, to, I get to you, uh, New York and he goes, I want to go shopping. I was like, Oh, well, I have no money. So I don't really care about shopping. <laughs> so he's like, just come with me, come with me. So I go with them. We go to fifth Avenue and this kid doesn't have money either, but he'll blow all the little money he had on clothes. In college. <laughs> right. And so, we go, we walk into the store and it's a huge store and I see him picking like 10 things. And I was like, how the hell is this guy affording this? Is he have stolen credit cards? What's going on? And then I'm sitting there just like grumpy that we're not doing anything. I flip the price tag on a brown bomber jacket and I see it's $39. And I was like, whoa, I can afford this. What is this? And he goes, this is the first store in America it's called H&M. Oh. It's, from Euro- it's from Europe and it just came here. And I was like, fashion can be made this cheaply because fashion to me growing up was like an elitist thing. Like right. people who had money dressed up nicely. People who didn't, didn't. Right. And- you, you, you either got your shit at K 
Kmart or or JC Penney's, right? Yeah. Or you went to needless markups, right? Exactly. Yeah, and so so you know you all you know I always put myself in that I never had money for fashion group. I see H and M, and then I'm like, we got to do a clothing brand. Why isn't there an American H and M? Right. With accessible price points and products. So at that point, there was Zara, you know, out of Spain, H and M out of Sweden, and then there was like. Forever 21 was starting to gain steam. So right. you started seeing like the early days of fast fashion in America. And wait, wait, wait. Harvard before, had done before, a case study. Before go you go on to that, explain to our listeners what fast fashion is. Because some people just don't know. I didn't know. My wife had to smack me around in the face a couple of times. Explain so, what it is. Okay, fast, so fast fashion. Fast fashion, yeah, really originated in, in, you know, in Europe when, you know, designer clothing in Europe is such a big part of their everyday culture. Right. Right. And what Zara did first really was take stuff that was happening on the runways and bringing it to people faster and cheaper with this, with a very high level of quality. So fast fashion was bringing the runway to retail in like six weeks, eight weeks, which hold on one really second. A, Let me ask yeah. you this. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt because there's just certain points yeah. in here that I don't know. I don't know that people really understand this. So the runway in Fashion Week in Paris, let's say whatever the fuck that is, right? When the person from let's say Zara, they're not actually running anything themselves down the runway, right? They're just no, so, there. Yeah. So like Dior has a fashion show. Zara team sees the fashion show, whether it be in the magazines or whether they got they attend the show. Right. Their designers then go and pretty much knock all that stuff off. Right. And, you know, Dior is showing in January full. Zara's seeing that stuff in January and having it in stores in February. Right. Scoop the scoop. And it's accessible to people who are never going to afford Dior. Exactly. And so that happened in Europe first. And really the brilliance of fast fashion, which is always underappreciated, is the supply chain, the ability to make product quickly. It's not easy. It's it's damn near impossible. Yep. So so they were able to use like so their what, supply chain, their 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 ability to source fabric, find factories all over the world that will move that quickly for them. Okay, so let me ask you this then. So all right. Cause now everybody knows, like everybody's like, oh yeah, we'll we'll go to Fashion Week and we'll just knock that off. Now everyone's a fucking genius. But at the time, when it was first coming around, nobody saw it coming, right? Yeah. Okay. And when 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 Zara, let's say, when we don't know for sure, but let's just say Zara, when they set up their plan, do you even know? Do you know that I don't? Cause I don't. But do you know the backstory of? Yeah, there was a guy at the Spanish company called Zara. His name was Pedro Pedraza. Uh, he said, listen, guys, I got a great idea. And everyone <laughs> laughed in his face and said, that'll never work. And he's like, just yeah. give me 100 k Do you know any of that? Or is that how yeah, it Yeah, I mean, his story is really, you know, in the town that he started Zara in, it was always about the supply chain. It's about manufacturing. Because once you can nail that, like, you can solve a lot of problems really quickly. And so a good example of someone that's doing it without actually manufact him manufacturing of the modern day version is Fashion Nova. Right. Fashion Nova, which is this monstrosity of a direct-to-consumer e-commerce company, is taking what the Zaras of the world did 30, 40 years ago, but bringing it to a digital age. And he's able to scale 
his business, I mean, it's insane. He's doing billions of dollars and he's done it in less than 10 years. Right. So I think like the be- people think it's about the design or the marketing or the branding. It's actually all the supply chain. And we didn't even realize that till 10 years later after we started our business. Cause we thought it was all about the hype and the marketing and the branding, but it's really about the supply chain. Hey, listen to that. Listen, okay. So what is what just for somebody who's not in that kind of business or doesn't do distribution and all this other shit, what is the supply chain? What do you mean when you actually say so, that? Yeah, so that's really the manufacturing process. So making clothing, let's say making a pair of jeans is actually quite complicated. Right. So for for example, there's a place you get fabric from. So you gotta get a fabric mill. I, you know what? That's my baby crying. Hold on, uh, let me turn okay. off the monitor. That's all right. Another cry. Man, I mean, I think that's fucking fascinating that we're about to hear. Because I was thinking about that. When you look at jeans, like jeans aren't simple to make. There's like fucking rivets. Dude, there's and so all much other shit. shit. You're about to really break it down. I love that. All right. You were just. All right. He's putting in his, his uh, ear deals. So, D, you were just about to explain that jeans ain't no simple fucking walk. Right. <laughs> Neither is putting in headphones. Right. So. Jeans aren't some simple walk. You were explaining like first there's a place where you got to get the material from. Yes. Yeah, so the first step is uh, sourcing the fabric and then is understanding how to wash that fabric correctly. Damn. And then, so you have to test the washing before you even start sewing the garment. Then you have to sew the garment. You have to cut the garment, cut the fabric so that you can sew it properly. Then once you sew it, you then uh, wash the garment and then you have to put the hardware on it. And then you have to put the packaging on it. So there's so many steps that can go wrong in making a pair of jeans. And so when you think about that across all these different categories, dresses and shirts, and just think about how complex this business is right. and why people can scale quickly are people that have incredible supply chains where they can go make anything they want whenever they want at the speed that they want. Because when you meet a fast growing brand, they'll be like, man, I can't get anything on time. And a company like Zara perfected that. Right. And in, Zara doesn't spend money on marketing. They're, they're not in <sighs> billboard ads. They don't do TV. They don't, they're the largest apparel company in the world and they don't do any of the traditional marketing. What they do is make great product that are accessible price points and right. they do it quick. And if a trend happens, they're the first to do it. And that, that just shows you at the end of the day, the marketing is actually your product, nothing else. Right. Wow. Yeah. Right. Cause think then people, it. then people just, they're like, fuck it. Because also I think along with that is in order to be a real fashion person, like a real one, like an Andy Warhol motherfucker or whatever, like you guys, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta love it so much. You're willing to devote a lot of time. And a lot of people don't have that kind of time. But no, if you were like, if I go to Zara, I'm pretty much guaranteed that I'm going to at least be at the front or in the front middle of whatever's going on. And it's one-stop shopping. I can get in get the fuck out. Right? Ex- exactly. Go That's deep. Exactly. So you come up with, and you're going to do, you, you decide to do a brand with, with Andres? Wait, wait, wait. So yeah, so USC, right? You're like, fuck the internet that's gonna that's a trend that's gonna die we gotta get out of that yeah. let's do something that you can really you know trust like clothing right and wait a minute and were your parents what did your parents say about that by the way were they like oh clothing go at it son sounds good here you can here i'll give you 10k there you go 
So obviously they weren't pleased because, you know, being Indian, like clothing is the last thing you want to hear about your kid's mouth. (laughs) I might as well said rapper. Right. Um, um, But but, you know, they they were always extremely supportive and they're like, give it a try. And if it doesn't work out, you got to get a job. Mm. And and so I was like, okay, cool. And, you know, we had started writing the business plan in college and got really excited and you know, the good thing about being in a program that we were at USC, they're very encouraging to like, okay, if you, you should get started right away. Like, don't just sit there and write the business plan, go figure out how to do the business. And we ended up trying to figure out how to launch the brand while we were in school. And we went to the first place you do when you're about to launch a new business, we hit the yellow pages. Well, so and, I, all of a sudden uh, I hear a lot of people go, what the fuck are the yellow pages? <laughs> what the fuck is that? Yellow pages. So they, uh, back in the day, people <laughs> would throw a big book that was 5,000 pages on your front lawn and it was access to every business in your neighborhood. And when we were at USC, we had a yellow pages and we were looking for a screen printer, someone who could print us t-shirts. And we saw this guy with a big ad. We took the call, the guy with the biggest ad. Great <laughs> business decision. Excellent. Yeah. And his name was Felix. It was this, uh, you know, shady uh, Nigerian cat out of downtown LA. Okay. And we go to his office. He's in like some sort of like, you know, shared office building. And he's like, what do you guys need? You need. <laughs> because by the way, when he opens his drawer drawer in his office, he's got like 30 fake IDs in there. Too. <laughs> so he's like, uh, were you guys you scared? Know, How old were you when you were in Felix's office, the mysterious Nigerian? Probably 20 or 21. So you guys were like, you guys were like shaking in your boots. Like, well, no, we were like, well, we could use a fake ID too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he ends up being our first screen printer, rips us off, completely rips us off. <laughs> and we end up running. You know, it's so different. Clothing today, you want to do something, you go on the internet and you figure it out and you'll get 10 different options on where to go. Right. We went, got ripped off. And then we went to go buy T-shirts blanks on Main Street in downtown L.A. That's where all the Korean people have shops. And we walk into one of the stores there and uh, the lady sells us shirts and she, we go, we want, we want to pay this price. So she sells us the shirt that we want to pay. Little did we know they're all irregular shirts. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so between the t-shirts we bought and the screen printer completely ripped off on our first try, but we have our first set of sweatshirts right. and we take them to campus and we had called the company five, four, because it was just like a stupid slang term. We used to just say to each other, in college to say goodbye to each other. What? And so we were like, let's just call it five, four. Cause five minus four equals one, one love. We just had some, you know, <laughs> you're right. Was, like, was, you was know. anyone sampling any kind of dry goods or any kind of interesting <laughs> mind altering substances? When you're going, Why don't we call it like two, three, like two plus three equals five. All right. I mean, it, it was as dumb as that. It was on, we were on AOL instant messenger and someone said five, four to us. And we we're like, what's that? Yeah. And he was like five minus four equals one. And we were like, fuck, that's genius. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I love that, bro. I love so that. we, we, we end up uh, calling the brand five, four. We print a bunch of shirts that say five minus four equals one. <laughs> Math. 
<laughs> and and yeah, exactly. And, uh, our friends buy them, so we sell like fifty t-shirts and hoodies our first day. And we were like, oh, my God, we're going to be rich. Yeah. <laughs> the easiest money we've ever made. And uh, we end up, uh, uh, you know, while in school, we sneak into a trade show called Magic that happened in Las Vegas every every six months. Nice. And, and we sneak into the show and we were like, Couldn't, this is the beginning of hip hop clothing. So we see Sean John. We see all these brands, FUBU, and we were like, holy crap, this is, there's like real money in clothing. And we come back to school and we were like, we got to launch this brand right now. So we throw a party at the knitting factory in Hollywood. We invite every person we've ever met. (laughs) Literally there was a line of a thousand people. Right. One of the people that show up is, and Lucky knows him, was Tony Johnson from Fred Siegel, Santa Monica. He shows up, has an incredible time, and goes, hit me up tomorrow. I show up to Fred Siegel the next day. He gives me an order. So our first store that carries us is Fred Siegel in Santa Monica, which at the time, Fred Siegel was the hottest store in L.A. Right. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What kind of cosign, Steve? Maybe you can talk to this because you're a man who understands how products are framed, what's fucking cool, what's not. What kind of cosign for a clothing brand is it to have uh, um, uh, Fred Siegel hit you up for an order and get your first store that you're in is Fred Siegel? It's it's great, and I and I ended up going a very similar route with Famous. I have a story about that with Fred Siegel, but it's a great like that's that a guy like a guy smart enough to know like D knows that that store is going to get you a hundred other accounts. As soon as you can say you're, at at least that's how business used to be. The hottest store in LA, all you got to do is just send them over a picture of your stuff in the store. And they're like, we got to have it. It was very follow the leader at that point in time. So did you, Hey D, did you tell your, your mom and everybody like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm nothing from nothing, but, uh, guess what? Our first fucking (laughs) store, Fred Siegel. She was like, cool. Tell me when you're in Ross. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you're on Fred Siegel. Five, four. Five minus four is one. It's completely genius. Everybody gets it. Then what happens? Then we start hitting stores all over LA. Like I, I grew up in uh, going to the Northridge Mall. I walked into the Northridge Mall. I went to the stores I grew up going to and they gave us a shot. My, my partner went to his neighborhood stores growing up and we got into like a half a dozen stores over the weekend. Um, what do you, um, what do you wear? All right, D. Like back then, young D, smelling that promise in the air. You know, yeah. like a hey, Fred Siegel. Like, what do you wear, and how do you start approaching these stores? Like, you know, what was your how does? Because yeah. a lot of people don't know how to sell or even introduce themselves. So, what did you do? Yeah. What was your strategy? And, and that's a really great point because I learned uh, communication skills like the hard way, which is walk up to a store at the Northridge mall and say, Hey, I am, uh, my name's D. I just launched this brand. I grew up around going to this store. I'd love to see if I can spend 15 minutes with you, tell you about my line. And the person was like, um, sir, I'm just a cashier. I don't really know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's literally what happens 99% of the time. But in this, in this instance, the owner was in, in the store in the back. He was like, let me see if you'll go spend time young. When you're young, Anyone will fucking talk to you because it's like this 
feeling of like mentorship or like opportunity. And so I knew that in college, I used to email people all day and I would get meetings with anybody because I would say, I'm a student at USC and that, you know, children mm-hmm. are our future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Hey, hey, D, what is some of the best? Like, did you ever get a good get where you're like, listen, my name is D, I'm at USC. And then like Rockefeller was like, yeah, come in, my boy. Let's yeah. what's like one of your best ones. Did you get a good one? I mean, so many. I mean, like, uh, specifically in, like, the early internet days, every CEO had their email on their website because no one was on these websites. So I could email anybody and I would get a response because no one had – you got maybe 10 emails all day. Mm -hmm. So I'd be emailing the CEOs of every company and, and like, 9 out of 10 would respond to me. Did you ever email Zuckerberg and be like, hey, bro, before you get too fancy, just know I had had that idea like 10 years before you even showed up? (laughs) I wish I did. I was so over – I didn't even get onto Facebook till like, six years after it came out because I was like, I don't want anything to do with the internet. (laughs) Uh, all right yeah, so I mean, yeah you get into some stores six stores and then what happens we graduate from college and we decide that this is going to be our future and there was a trade show that there's trade show magic and we knew that's where we had to be so we had to get a booth and the booth was uh seven thousand dollars damn which i didn't have my partner definitely didn't have that either um but all those uh credit cards i'd signed up to get free t-shirts added up to about 10 grand so I was like, fuck it. Let's just charge all these cards and see what happens. Another great so, business decision. Yes. <laughs> so we uh, charge those credit cards, get our first booth. I have my friends uh, come to my backyard. We buy plywood and build our first booth. I drive it in a U-Haul to Las Vegas. It's August uh, 2002. It's like 173 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um and we build the booth in the convention center. Meet, like my best friends all come with me. We had built this booth that we thought was like the Taj Mahal. It, and when I look at pictures now, it was a dump. <laughs> what was um, what, what was like the theme? Did you guys have like an idea? You're yeah, like- this is all we could, our theme could afford us, uh, a kid's bedroom. <laughs> Fucking deep, bro. I love that. Yeah. Look at why don't we just set up the booth like where our clothes are really gonna be? That yeah. way, people could kind of get a sense of like what it's gonna be. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think I think we do that, and we were so excited. I had called every buyer, like I emailed the Bloomingdale's buyer. I emailed everybody. Yeah. The show was four days. No one even talked to us oh. for the first three days. Oh. On the fourth day. A guy came to me and said, man, I really like the energy you're putting out there. How's the show? Yeah. <laughs> I really like the effort you guys are putting out. Hey, I've been watching you guys. Watch, I've been watching my every day to see you guys. <laughs> yeah, over and, there. Hey, listen, you little whippersnappers. Like, I saw Literally. you guys pretending to be happy there when no one was talking to you for three <laughs> yeah. days and you kept the smile going and that's the kind of grit it takes. Yes, and he literally goes, you know what? I want to support you guys. I want to give you an order. Damn. Pity, pity order. Huh? Pity order. Hey, well, however, yeah. it, hey, however you can get it. Yeah. Yeah. No. It was probably like 1200 bucks. Yeah. So, right. So, and, and then. But his last name was Getty. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so they called, uh, you know, they gave us a store. They're out in Minnesota in like the middle of nowhere. Oh, that's Minnesota. where fashion's happening, bro. Minnesota. Exactly. If you're not going to get seen in Minnesota, you're not going to be able to sell in New York. Everybody knows that. Exactly. Land exactly. the lakes, baby. 
<laughs> and and we get um, another order from a store that I, he's still a very close friend of mine, a store called Leaders in Chicago that was just opening then. And he's like all about young energy and young people. And he's still doing the same shit, giving kids a shot. Like he gave, you know, all the Chicago brands their first shot. So he gives it, gives us a shot. So we end up rounding up maybe like five grand in orders. All right. And I don't even have enough money at that point because trade shows are scams. Okay. Trade shows are scams. <laughs> and what they do at trade shows is they stick you with all these fees at the end. Right. That I was not aware that I had to pay. <laughs> So I get stuck with like a $1,500 bill and I literally don't have a dollar to my name at this point. Right. I have to, I have to go to a, 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 a phone and call my mom. Damn. And I call her and said, I need 1500 bucks like right now. Otherwise they're not going to release any of this shit to me. And she's like, well, maybe I can, can I pay it over the phone? Can I deposit a check? And I'm like, and I need the money like today. And she's like, I'm like, I think I need you to come. Oh, really? And so she hops on a Southwest flight Jeez. from the Valley, Jeez. comes to Las Vegas, brings us Del Taco what? and 1500 bucks, pays the bill. And we go home with, you know, our tail between our legs right. and regroup on like, what the hell are we going to do next? That you know what they call that? They call that maternal instinct, my good man. Yeah. That's how you mother. That's exactly. how you mother. Although I gotta so, I gotta think that that I mean, when you picked up the phone and you started dialing mom's number, I gotta believe that that was one heavy fucking call to make. Oh yeah. I mean, um it was it was obviously it's embarrassing. It's like a sign of failure. It's all those things. And luckily my mom is such an amazing, generous, both my parents are. And it ends up being this like amazing eye-opening experience because I was like, we need to go out there and meet people. Right. So my mom had a minivan. She wasn't really using it. <laughs> I come back from Vegas. I was like, I need to go drive and go to stores. Every time I've walked into a store, I get a sale. Right. So I got to go build all these relationships. So the next couple years, the way we built the brand was traveling like everywhere i drove that van all over the country i flew i would fly to like michigan rent a car and go up and down yeah. all the all the i became like lucky knows there's like an embassy suite circuit <laughs> sales people it's the most depressing thing it's the most it's so sad <laughs> what do you mean they give you free breakfast yeah, what are you right, talking about yeah, all right. <laughs> Stand yeah. in that buffet line and try to get as yeah. much fucking Yeah, you start living in that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start living in that right. little, like, crazy, like, motel, <laughs> hotel, yeah. uh, trade show. Days in. Yeah, it's like days right. in. Dude, Go on. Right. Yeah. You got, like, that's, when you do that is when you start developing those weird waffle strategies that only <laughs> a lot of exposure, like, you're but like. D, the, yeah, no, absolutely. But, D, that's where you start actually meeting these little fucking stores. Right. And yes. and when, when you're there, you're like a superstar to them. Right. You're in their little town, they're meeting you. Oh my God, it's the owner. And go yeah. ahead, D. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened. It's like, I'm from LA. I went to USC. Like there was some sort of like cachet with all that shit. Sure. And the real thing, what I learned early on in life, which has carried me to this day, it's not 
what you know, it's who you know. Right. And that changed my whole perspective. I, I, I knew that in college because I got a culture shock when I got to USC because I'd never seen people with money before. Right. And, and when I graduated from college, I was like, I got to know everybody. Right. I want to know everybody. Right. And that's what I did. Like these people just did business with their friends. And that's how life works. You do business with people, you know, and you feel comfortable with. And sales is all about comfort. Like people are like, I know D like it took me how many years to get into all the department stores. They could have bought me five years earlier, but no, they, they saw my face and, had comfort level with me for half a decade where they're like, I know this guy's going to be around. He's a good guy. He's a good reputation. Let's go give him a shot. And unfortunately there's a big part of, if you're still in a business where you're relationship driven, then you still got to know people and showing up to their store was the, was the equalizer for me because I went everywhere. I literally went to every small shit town mall in the country. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Now, Sean is our resident introvert. So, Sean, you're listening to D talk about essentially like first and foremost, he went to a college mm-hmm. where some rich motherfuckers went mm-hmm. and he saw how the game is played at that level. Right. That's I don't know if people intend it to be that way. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. We can have a political discussion about that later. But the fact of the remains is these universities are places where relationships can be built. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you go to, you know, Bob Murray's trade tech. You might get a certain level relationship. But if you go to USC, right, you're going to get another level of relationship. And then, so D gets that exposure. What is your reaction to that? Because you're, you're, you, you know, you have kind of a different background or whatever. What do you think about all that? Um, I completely understand it. What do you mean? Uh, I mean, my employment... Like the the way I get jobs mainly is through relationships, right? And like I've had you know stretches where I go like a you know like a whole year, you know throwing out resumes or whatever and not getting any, but then you know I get a save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here, making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Paul, hey, would you be interested in this position? And that's like from a friend or yeah, through a from friend. Yeah, a friend. And it's like, yeah, people I know or people I've worked with before or whatever. Young intern, special care. Are you listening to this? Yeah. yeah. It's especially crucial for introverts mm-hmm. because I don't know, Sean, do you, would you be able to get in your mom's minivan and just drive around Michigan and just meet strangers? If it, if it was all on the line and I had to do it to save my business and like I understood that that's what success meant, yeah, absolutely. Wait a second. But no, I wouldn't. Oh, wait, wait, wait. But, but, but isn't that, wait, hold on. Isn't that what, I mean, dude, what he just said, it was all on the line, yeah. but isn't, things have been on the line for you millions of times. I'm just saying, how hard is it for a guy like you to get outside your comfort zone, get in a minivan, start just driving up and down the block, meeting people? Uh, I mean, it's hard. <laughs> what am I going to say? Right. Steve, do you have the same challenges? You don't seem like a kind of guy like that to me. Or 
Do you get nervous or is there a class of people that you meet? I don't think you even, I think that the guy that gets nervous isn't thinking about launching a clothing brand. I think the guy that's launching a clothing brand has like in his head, um, there's really nothing I can't do. Oh, I see what they're doing. I can do that. They're not doing anything I can't do. Like that's kind of how I approach the thing. And I think so much of this stuff is kind of like what D says. Like, I think like if you, you learn how to swim, if you get fucking thrown in a pool, you jump into a pool. That's how you learn how to do shit. And um, I certainly didn't have any experience in business, but it made sense. Like, all right, the store owner, I see him sometimes. He's got cool shit. Man, let's see if I can talk to the guy, man. Maybe I get on. And that's what you do, kind of what D's saying. Like, you're walking in. I like his, hey, you know, I just launched a brand. Can I spend 10 minutes? And his was a little bit cleaner than mine. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, When you say his, what are you talking about? What is it? His no, d- his, no, his the, the way he canned it. His little canned pitch. His shtick. Yeah, like. What was your shtick? How would you be like? Because I, because if his I. His was intimidation. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they want to hey, believe. Yeah, nah, come Listen on. Listen up. Hey, bro. I think there was some there was a couple times there was some intimidation but I think Wait, wait hold on. Let me just share this story. Yeah, please. I'll t- I'll, t- I'll Let's tell get you real in this motherfucker. Yeah, right this now. is real. We're launching Young and Reckless. We we the brand has not come out yet. Okay? It's about to come out. And Fantasy Factory, which the show is the is where they're going to be uh airing the launch of the brand, which drama was uh, a star of we get the episode six months in advance. So I tell Lucky, I have the episode. Let's go meet with everyone. So we go to PacSun. We go to Tilly's. We go to Journey's. We go to Hot Top. We, we oversold the shit. <laughs> <laughs> right? Come on, so, yeah. And so, you know, I when I go to a, a meeting, you know, I'll maybe wear – I was wearing a Young and Reckless T-shirt, <laughs> maybe a jacket, pair of jeans. Right. Or I would wear a, bu- I would wear a button-down shirt. I want to look like a professional. Right. Because, right? cause, cause, cause you you know, you're already in your mind. You're thinking like, all right, I got to reassure these people that someone professional is in control of this shit. And, and by the way, like even at that point, I was still in like 27, 28 years old. So right. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm bringing them a huge opportunity. I need to be taken seriously. Right. I then get uh, – I, I didn't – I think picked up Lucky. We started heading over. I'm like, you know, I didn't know Lucky good enough then to like tell him, make a comment on what he was wearing. And let's but be, he was wearing, let He was fair. wearing. Oh, sorry, yeah. I, I'm sorry, but let's be also fair that if you don't know Lucky well enough, you definitely do that mental negotiation with yourself. Like, do I say anything or do I just keep my mouth <laughs> shut and just be yeah, cool? Exactly. So you know, he, he had the relationship with some of these stores, so I didn't want to. You know, he he's been there before. He knows how it works. <laughs> We go, we go walk into Pakistan corporate headquarters. This guy's wearing um, a wife beater. I don't know if that's a lot to be said anymore. And a pair of ba- hoop shorts. Like maybe a pair of like famous hoop shorts. And, you know, like some like maybe a pair of Chucks or Cortezes. Or right, 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 right. This is a interesting <laughs> choice of uh, attire for yeah. the, the launch of new brand. Right, but dude, honestly, Steve... The way you look, right, it's to a certain extent, right, when you're wearing wife beaters, I mean, you got the chest, the guns out, you got the tats, and you definitely look fucking cool. And you also look a little bit like, I ain't going to fuck with that guy, right? And you're not exactly. necessarily, I know me, I don't know, maybe D's got a pair of brass ones, I, I know me. I would see you like that, and I'd be like, you know what, I'm just going to let uh, Steve pick his own clothes right now. I'm not going to say like, <laughs> yeah. hey, bro, yeah. right? It, it was interesting, man. He was right on. He he just he just kind of had like the game plan, and we went along with it. And by the time we're going, D had been. 
operating with different types of retailers. So Young and Reckless was going to be a brand that he could kind of oversee this brand, but we could do it in retailers that I was familiar with. Hold on a second. What was your fashion decision? Like, did you, like when you got dressed to go with D, could go talk to some retailers, what were you thinking when you were like, I'm going to put some hoop shorts and some fucking a white beater? Like, what did you yeah, have? By, by this point in time, man, my, my attitude is where I'm not chasing any of these retailers now. They're just calling me throughout the day to see what Lucky's doing. They're like, this motherfucker's always running around with like stars and the hottest mic. Like, so I had this attitude that was like, and it's kind of fucking retarded. No, it's I had not. this attitude it's not. that was like, I can do this. Right. And everybody else is mad because this dude is just doing it the way he wants to do it. You know, with the Rolex on. Like, I was real caught up in all that shit. Like, yeah, but you know that what? I was that guy and I can do this and float around and, and so, but. Yeah, but you can't. Listen, 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 listen. Absolutely. But I do. Uh, but listen, man, I got to say this. But do I'm it. I'm let you go. Go. Is that I know damn well when I put on a button down shirt and I'm wearing a blazer. Yeah. I get treated completely different. And I think I want to be treated more like that lately. Well, okay, okay. All right, hold on a second. Hold trying on. to go in and fucking scare people. Nah, but some... listen, listen. Everyone just calm down for a second. Because I understand what you're saying, Steve. Like, on some level, you're saying, look, there's two kinds of... There's res a Bronx tale. Would you rather be feared or respected? Sure. All right. And then there's legitimate to that. I'm not... I'm, but also, I think, and maybe D can talk to this, you're also a genuine article. Like, sure. to a certain extent... When you roll with Steve, and you really do roll with a lot of different people, yeah, sometimes your intimidation thing is part of it. But the other part of it is, this is actually a real guy who really did a lot of shit that most people just want to think about and then go home to their nice bed. And as a result, right, you're lending some credibility to the enterprise, and it's got nothing to do with intimidation. That's a real motherfucker. Actually, the real guy, a real guy from Santa Monica, it might actually wear a wife beater to a business thing absolutely but right i mean yes, d is that right? right credibility yeah. that absolutely. that that while you know you're handling certain like you know high-end business decision things or whatever if you can't actually attract the real talent or the real guy or the people yeah. who are there then you don't have credibility with some of your partners yeah i think the the right word is as long as you're like authentically yourself, then people don't feel that you're you're out of pocket, right? And that that was natural to who Lucky was as a personality, so it made sense. That's how we dressed. And for me, it's like I was at that point in my career, I still felt like I had to play. A, I was playing a role, like I had to. You know, that was my stick. I was a nice, smart guy. Like right. that was my role. As I got more successful, I was able to be more comfortable in my skin and be my actual personality, which is speak freely, talk with you, you know, have the confidence that I have today. But at that point, I was like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Because I didn't want to, you know, I, I hadn't made it yet. Right. You know, I was still like, I was still trying to figure out my place in this business. Right. Like, like, you know, he like, it was where, listen, man, and I know this is going to sound, this is going to kind of sound crazy, but. I was in a mode prior to getting to where D was at, where I was like, I, I, I'm going to blow the brand up. I'm going to just sell. It's like, I'm going to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, right? Yeah. And the guy that I was working for was about numbers. Like, just fuck blah, blah, blah. And so by the time I got over to working with D, 
it was the first time that I was kind of just through being with him and his brother too and working through problems I got to look at this apparel business from a vertical standpoint like like and I and I don't like there were things where like I didn't pay attention to as a salesman and that you really need to know this was that I learned a lot of them late in the game and it was like I'd run into these huge problems of like selling product to a retailer and the product not moving well and me being stuck with like what are we going to do and then like D would show up at situations and he'd be like alright this is what we're going to do we're going to let this go at this price and cut them a deal but what they have to do is we'll do that but they've got to commit to X amount on this on the next buy remember stuff like that D you would have yeah. ways to like he just was like really savvy business wise man and the way that we dropped our POs in like it's like gather this much more and then we'll make this cut and we'll overshoot it 20 and it's like he really understood this stuff and if you don't understand or you don't have a team that understands this this type this business you're just like I tell people man the only way I made it was because I landed on great teams I could execute right at young and reckless man what we did in a, in, in an amount of time and the way that we made it work we had everybody looking at us like that's not gonna happen and it all happened but yeah. it's really like I trusted D had the manufacturing capability like they understood that and I, I, I just trusted D man and you know what man I remember selling famous into a bunch of retailers and at this point in time I kind of me and D are already friendly I know who he is and he's got five for denim and five for denim is in like urban stores and I'm introducing famous to an urban customer so now Dude, like all the stores in Southern California that I sell famous to, yeah, five fours in like seventy-five percent of these independent doors, and I'm in there. And I remember, D, there was a point in time where, like, I think a lot had to do with the economy, and it was like I want to say two thousand five to two thousand seven. Like, well, some shit went in down. there. Everything did go down. The housing bubble, fucking exploded. man, this yeah. this fucking from what I knew. From what I knew and what the talk hour on the street was, yeah. was that 5-4 was pretty much done and that they had denim out everywhere and everybody was closing doors and nobody was paying them. And this company was fucked. And I had heard it from a couple other companies surrounding them. These dudes are done. Oh, this store closed. That store closed. They can't. And what I remember seeing, bro, is I remember driving around to these different retailers and I would see D and his partner showing up at these places and like figuring out this massive problem. People don't understand, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let D set the scene then. D, D is that is that accurate? So Steve's laying out basically... Uh, I'm laying out a nightmare right. in this business for right. everybody so they can kind of right. understand. So, 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 so give us, set the stage, D. How bad was it? Like what were you guys facing when the shit hit the fan? Yeah, so in 2008, when the housing bubble kind of burst, and it was a span of like, if you guys remember when Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns went out of business, that time period, retailers panicked. Right. So we were in all Macy's stores. We were in all Buckle stores. We were in all these small retailers all over the country. And literally everyone stopped paying us. People stopped uh, ordering. People were returning goods, and we were in a horrible place. I mean, we had no money. Um, we had just we had taken on our first investors. They were all dealing with their own financial crisis, and so 
we were just kind of left to fend for ourselves. And we had, we were, we were totally bucked. And the reason why we started young and reckless was like, we were going to throw some darts and see if something sticks. And luckily uh, drama had reached out to me like several times before to like launch a brand through his manager. And I just didn't know who they were. Cause I wasn't into skating. I didn't know who Rob Dyrdek was. I didn't know anybody. I hadn't watched MTV in 10 years. I was 27 years old. Like I hadn't even watched TV in probably a decade. Right. So I, I was like, who are these guys? And then, I real I saw what was happening with Famous, and then I saw what, what this brand could be, and I saw drama, and I was like, "Fuck, this could be the next Famous if right. it's done right." So I was like, "Why?" And 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 we were we were totally screwed with our vendors. We owed people we owed millions of dollars, and I was just like, "I need a payment." We went to everybody we owed, and set up payment plans. If we owed you fifty grand, five grand, or two million dollars, we set up these crazy payment plans with people. Like we paid our law firm like five hundred dollars a week for like seven years. Damn, bro! I was just gonna say you wanna come. I'll be your lawyer, but nah, nah. <laughs> hey, we paid every last dollar, but but. but but that, that that's the world that we lived in. It was like do or die. And we were, we weren't going to just fold over. So we ended up doing that. And then when young and reckless comes about, I was like, I got to get the guy that did famous. Like why beat around the bush? Let's just get the same guy. I reached out and I think he had recently left. And it was just like fortuitous timing for both of us because, you know, we were able to work on the brand together, but yeah, we were, we were screwed. Our business was over. Like we went, we were doing millions of dollars and then in 2009 did less than a million dollars. Damn. And then Reckless started in August of 2009 and we made more money the, from August to December than I'd ever made all of 5-4. Wow. So I'm, 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 and you know what? And I also know some of these reps. Some of these reps would be at different stores that I was at. So I saw their business and I saw this happen. And what I witnessed is that these guys were showing up. This is a nightmare, you guys, when you've got to like payment programs and you're like driving two hours to go pull 200 bucks out of a retailer and like 20 pairs of denim because they can't pay for it. Right. That type of shit. Right. I watched these guys do it. And I'm going to say this because... I watched them just show up and do what was in front of them, right. essentially, right. right, and work it through the other side. But I remember too, man. D told me something, and I think about it every day, bro. And it's he he pulled me in the office and he goes, "Hey, man, you know what, man? Eighty percent of this whole thing is just showing up. Right? Just keep showing." He goes, "Like I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know if this is gonna work, but I keep on showing up. I just keep on showing up. It's like, dude, and that's gotten." I realized that to be very true. You know, I learned these lessons a lot later, but I watched D do this. And so when D was approaching me to do stuff, no, no, like I had this trust because I, I know from the inside what it looks like to finance. And when you're in up to your neck with retailers, like he just mentioned, right? When you're in with zoomies, when you're in, when you're in categories with PacSun, yeah, you're floating around like, you know, millions of dollars overseas your fucking freight company you're like it, it, to be able to make to handle that shit that's a lot you got to really have like pro people around you and the only reason i will do it was because of d and his brother and the team that was set up in there man it was like right a plus if you fuck that up with those guys then you're just retarded you know hey so let me ask you this d then where did it where did you uh, with and dude if it, be real about it where did you develop 
the ability to have zombies and fires and fucking black holes all around you. And you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and just saying, I'm not going to quit. I'm just not going to quit. I mean, it doesn't look good. It's embarrassing. But I'm not going to quit. How did you how did you know? Because I know a lot. I got a lot of friends and they fall into a category of knuckleheads and they try something and their first their first like failure, if you want to call it that or setback can cause them to start a whole brand new other thing. Yeah. Right. So how is it that you were able to see this thing through or had the moxie to just keep going? You know what it actually is? It's ego. I I had such a big ego that I wasn't going to let anyone watch me fail. I love it. That's real. That's so, real. Cuz you know cuz you know what, man, we've had a lot of people. Some people are like, "Well, my grandma, you know, she always taught me like if the if, if the oven still works, you can bake a cake." <laughs> <laughs> No, D was like, nah, man. I had a big ass ego. And I was like, uh uh-uh, I ain't going out like that. Nah, son. Exactly. I mean, you could have asked me the day we owed someone, you know, $5 million. I'd be like, how's business going? We're killing it. And the thing. Sean, look at Sean's face. Look at Sean's face. Sean, you just, you just like shook your head. What, what, what's your response to that? I mean, it's just the power of, of lying to yourself. Right? <laughs> yeah. I guess you know so. what it is? Entrepreneurs, and it, it, it is a good, I mean this in a good way and a bad way. Entrepreneurs are delusional. Right. 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 And you have to be delusional to be an entrepreneur. Like Elon Musk is the most delusional man on earth, right. which has made him the most successful man on earth because right. he actually thinks these ridiculous things are possible. Right. And when we owed $5 million, my brother was like, yo, let's close this shit up and let's go get jobs and let's go figure this shit out. Like, this is stupid. You're never going to figure this out. And you know, years later, that same problem happened to our business. And I think you, at the end of the day, you have to be uh, delusional to, to actually get through these types of problems. Wait, D, hold on. Hold you on. hear what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's the level of the shit that they were trying to get. To. You want to know what's crazy? Is that Sean's hero is fucking Elon Musk, right. who's super delusional. Right. Yet Sean's like shaking his head like, I don't know how you can do that. Yeah. Right. Let me ask you this then. This is great. Because this reminds me of that scene in Animal House where, like, right, everything gets shut down and then John Belushi gets up and gives that crazy speech to pep everyone. Yeah. So, D, how did you, when your brother was like, look, bro, I understand business too, motherfucker. All right, okay. And it, it was cool and we learned a lot, but we can just declare bankruptcy and just get the fuck on out, right? What was the coach speech that you gave him? Like, did you jump up and say, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Like, what did you say? You know what's funny? The day we owe the most money and we're in total shit, you know what we did? What? We went to the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Okay? We went <laughs> We went and uh, we took our last, whatever, 500 bucks and blew it on, like, cocktails and a lunch. Yeah! And, and, and we sat down, and on a paper napkin, we literally wrote all the money we owed to everyone, and we kind of sat there and said, we, had, we knew the legal system to a certain extent where we're like, we had been in some small lawsuits where the judge, all he cared about, are you making your best efforts given your circumstance to pay these people? And when we realized that's it, 
we are making if you came and opened our books you'd be like these guys are making a heroic effort to make let everyone pay so we went to everyone and said you could sue us you could do this you could do that then you're going to be, we're going to be in court for the next couple of years. You're probably going to get zero. You're going to spend more on legal fees than what we owe you. Instead, take this payment plan and let's keep working together. And we went to every single vendor and did that. And that's how we got out of the hole. That's really what, what the coach's speech was. We just sat to each, we, we were drinking like $40 margaritas at the Four Seasons <laughs> in Beverly Hills. We're like, if we're going to go out, we're going to go out in style. And... <laughs> And, and we sat there and we just called every single person. And, you know, obviously these aren't pleasant conversations to right, have right. and you grow up really quick, but we, we paid every <laughs> single fucking person. Literally everyone got their money. Right. You made good. You didn't trump out. I mean, it's the same LLC I've been running for 18 years. You know, we're still existing and we, we made good on every dollar we owed. A lot of those people, we went back and did business with them and made them a lot of money later in life. Right. So it's like, because the, it's karma. At the end of the day, it's what it's what I believe. You gotta you gotta take care of people because there's a lot of people that took care of you on the way. So let me ask you this, man. I mean, uh, now do your parents have like a shrine to you in their house, and they're like, "Oh, this is my son." Did I tell you about my fucking son? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're definitely very proud, and uh, you know, I mean, I think for them, given you know, my parents are immigrants, and uh, for them was just making sure we're on stable ground in America. Right. That was, that was the goal. And they accomplished that obviously early on with us going to good schools and doing well. Right. Um, I think they were always, you know, as an immigrant that came out of poverty, it's like their view on life is very much different than my view on raising my child. Like my parents. Right. Taught us defense, right? Like just survive, right. just have a roof over your head, get married, have kids and go live the best life you can. Whereas, you know, me being a parent now, mine's like to my children, you're the world's your oyster. You want to go conquer the fucking world. I'll help. Right. You know, it's very different mindset. And so I appreciate what my parents did for us because it set a foundation for like future generations. I love that because, you know, um, I know a lot of immigrant families and first generation, second generation, et cetera. And, like, there is a tension there, you know. You have uh, – the family comes from a situation that's so much worse than what's here that they come with a different set of strategies as to their own children. And and some people even get caught up with, like, you know, when you have parents from another country and they're raising you here in a better situation, they always remind you, like, hey, let me tell you something. It could be a lot worse than what's going on right here. When I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. And then it puts a lot of pressure on that first-generation kid. And some people – they're not able to translate it into success the way you were. Do you have any insights as to what the difference is in that scenario? I mean, I think, I think it's a lot. You have to be really open-minded as a parent, I think, to understand like your child and know what's best for them. You know, th there's, I think for my parents, they were just concerned that we, you know, survive in America and assimilate and feel you know, they just wanted to protect us. And right. so I understand their intention was of the best. And I think, you know, as I got to college, and I think this is why it's so important to go do the uncomfortable things in life is that when I went to college and I was put in this um, kind of, for me, a cultural shock, uh, 
it gave me access to like not feel so different than everybody else. Because when you grow up and you see things on TV or read in magazines, you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. I wonder if I could do that. Then I got to USC and I saw very wealthy people, very successful people, all these different walks of life. And I'm like, fuck, I'm smarter than these people. Right. Like they're, they're actually not better than me. I just didn't know that. Right. And growing up, you don't realize that you think, the person that you see on the screen is different from you. And the reality is they're not, they're not smarter than you. And if anything, the lesson we learned two weeks ago um, or, it, you know, in January with uh, the wall street bets, Reddit yeah, board was GameStop. that with GameStop was the average person is as smart as the person on wall street. They just never were given access. Right. So access is, you know, ultimately the biggest equalizer in life. And I think that just showed that you got to, if you give everyone, that's why they have Harvard's of the world because they want to keep their club. They like it. They like right. their country club the way it looks right now. Right. They don't want that grimy ass Reddit kid at their country club who right. made a hundred million dollars in a week. Right. And that's society in general. And so at USC, I realized that I could be, I'm, I could be a part of this club that I just have to, you know, get some skills I just don't have today. That's and interesting. So now what you're laying out, D, is another um, lesson about going to like, quote unquote, an elite school or whatever, clubs, whatever it is. And that is not only are you going to make relationships, let's say, but also you're going to find out or demystify Yes. what that class is and realize, oh shit, they're, they're just the same as me. Maybe I'm even hungrier than they are and I'm going to be in a good, uh, uh, and I can actually make this happen. And you know what? That's interesting that you, that you bring that up because we did a whole show on GameStop and we were, we were talking about that very thing, which is in a weird way, these clubs, like, you know, if you want to call it Harvard, whatever it is, or these Wall Street guys, these, you know, insulated groups, um, what they they claim to be capitalists or they claim to be about free markets, but the last thing they want is real competition. No, the the richest people in the world are uh, beneficial of corporate socialism. They just don't want to give it. Their socialism for the rich is okay. Socialism for the poor is not. Man, said here, man. Hard luck show exclusive, man. <laughs> talk about young and reckless. That's some crazy shit right there. Now let me ask you this. Um, what part, where exactly did your parents, um, come from? Where did they immigrate from? They came from India and, uh, from a city called Bangalore. Bangalore. And where is that in, like, when you look at India, is that in the South or the North? That's South. That's South. Okay. Cause, and do you ever get, do you ever go back and travel and check shit out or whatever? Yeah. So, you know, as kids, we were lucky. We used to go literally every other summer for the entire summer. That is awesome. Really? Did you ever smoke beaties? Yeah. You were smoking beaties over there? No. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Hey, no, because, dude, I've been to India twice. I went to India when I was 14. Wow. And I rode a train from, like, New Delhi all the way down to, back then they called it Bombay, but I guess now it's yeah. Mumbai, right? Yeah. Mumbai. Yeah, so I went all through there. And, dude, my cousin and I, when we as soon as we saw Beaties, we were, like, 14, we were fucking smoking those things like they were going out of style, bro. Hey, I, I love India. D, D, let me ask you this, man. Like, just it, real clear, because as, as we were building this whole thing, this Young and Reckless thing, D and his partner, they've got 5-4. And I think that for like the first couple of years, I'm over there with other people and we're kind of like, 
kind of looking over to the other side of the offices like, what's 5-4 doing? What is 5-4 really going to do? And we're building Young and Reckless, and we're like, things were just changing real rapidly. And then, D, how did you guys, these guys were like real early on the whole subscription. Before you even heard about subscription coming, these guys were like already setting up boxes. How did, D, take us through the quick, quick little view of how that worked, man. Yeah, so we, we, genius we used to have, at the time. Right. We used to, we used to have retail stores uh back then. We had store in Century City Mall, Fox Hills Mall, and um uh Arcadia Mall. And uh I would spend my weekends in those stores, you know, working the stores and, or nights. And um one day a friend of mine comes in, uh Grant Shapiro. I'll never forget this. Grant's father is Robert Shapiro. I was just going to ask any relation to the the attorney Robert Shapiro legal zoom. Yes. And so they walk into the store and he, and I know Grant and he goes, Oh, this is my dad. I uh, wanted to show him your store. I was like, Oh shit. Look what's up. And he's like, you'll appreciate this. Come outside with me. I'm launching a new business with Kim Kardashian. You should take a picture with her. I was like, I don't want a picture with her. He goes, you should take a picture with her. I'm like, okay, fine. I go walk, I, you know, you know, indulge him. He's obviously a superstar lawyer. Mm -hmm. So I walk over there and I go, what is this business? Tell me about it. He goes, it's a subscription shoe business where you fill out a style quiz. And for $39.99 a month, you, based on your style preferences, you get a shoe sent to you for women. I was like, holy shit, this is a good idea. And Kim Kardashian was the face of it. Right. Oh, I shit. get on the phone, call my brother, call my partner, and I just said, I just heard the craziest fucking business I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. We should do this. So they figure out what to do for men, which was fill out a style quiz, and for $60 a month, we're going to give you a box of clothes, which was effectively 50% off our retail price. Right. So we launched that in May of 2012. We were mm-hmm. literally the first to do this. Yes. And Dude, it's amazing. we start getting a little traction because we had customers and people knew who we are. 18 months of just like learning how to do that business because it's completely different than what we were doing. December of 2014, we were like, let's just go full force and do this. December of 2013, let's shut down our wholesale, shut down our retail stores and really give this thing a shot. Damn. In 2013... Five four did we had gotten whittled down to one million dollars in business, and Young and Reckless was like north of twenty million dollars at that point. Two thousand fifteen, five four club did fifteen million dollars. Damn. The next year it did thirty. The next year it did fifty. Yep. Damn. And hey, so, Sean, could you use $50 million? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Go on, D. And so that really opened our eyes to like the opportunity. And, and, you know, and since then, our business has evolved and changed dramatically because the Internet got very crowded with very similar concepts. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we were faced with the same challenge we've had every few years in our business is like evolve or die. And we were living and dying by the subscription business. But we birth all these new brands. We birth a footwear brand called New Republic. We birth an activewear brand called Grand Running Club. We birth, you know, some new concepts. And 
what we realized was subscription wasn't going to be end all be all, but it was going to give us access to launch things quickly and efficiently. So we launched our shoe brand in the box. We right. launched our activewear brand in the box. And right. today, you know, the subscription business has shrunk, but all these other brands have grown dramatically. So that's really what we've kind of evolved again to, which is now a house of brands. And mm -hmm. so we have 12 different brands today across categories in footwear, apparel, menswear, women's wear, um, denim, you name it, accessories. And, you know, all the learnings of the last, you know, call it 19 years now has now got me to the point where we've built this house of brands and now we're building it for other people too. So we do services for emerging brands. So, you know, we've really come full circle and found out what we're really good at, which is the ability to launch and scale brands very quickly. Right. Um, I may be in a position, I talked to a friend of mine today who runs a a billion dollar business. And he's like, I was never meant to run a billion dollar business. I was meant to launch it and then hand the keys to somebody uh -huh. else. Right. And so, you know, we, we all have to find out what we're good at in life. And I think I'm good at finding opportunities and launching them and scaling them quickly. And, you know, maybe these brands will go and live on with other people at some point. And, but you that's, know, that's the vision. You know, it's interesting about what D is saying though. It's like, I got to say, like, it's one thing to hear D, who's had a lot of success, and he, he put a number behind the amount of years of experience. It was like mm -hmm. 18, 19, probably longer, really. Yeah. But, you know, he said 18, I think. <clears throat> and the thing is, is like, D, if I was to, like, throw a rock, I would hit a kid who's like, listen, I'm not meant to actually run a business, but what I'm meant to do is launch it and flip it, baby. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to do, right? So everybody's do trying to do that, or everybody wants to do that. And I think it comes from a different place than what you're saying. Maybe you can speak to this, which is I think a lot of people think, like, I don't want to be consistent. Like, I can, I can come up with a great idea. I, I got a cousin named King Sam. I got a great idea. This is a billion dollar idea. All I need is someone to execute it. I'm not that guy. What's the difference between that and what you're saying? Mine is actually, I want to be the execution person that actually gets into the weeds, understands the brand, understands the entire part of the business. What I'm, in my view is like, I think I'm incredibly talented at getting a business to like, 15, 20 million bucks, but I'm not sure if I'm the guy to take you to a billion yet. Cause I haven't done it. So, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten our businesses pretty big. So, you know, it's the same thing. There's like levels to where stage you are at in life. And in mm -hmm. life I've taken businesses to close to a hundred million dollars, but I have not been able to break through that barrier. Mm -hmm. And I have friends, <clears throat> let's say the founder of fashion Nova who's <clears throat> done that. And he right. broke through it. And so I'm sitting there learning from him. I'm like, what are you doing that I'm not doing? Mm. Because he'll literally be like, you got in this game before me. How am I bigger than you? Mm. Oh, no. Man, imagine that. Imagine oh, you have like a million dollar business is successful. There's always somebody bigger. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. And it's the same thing. Like my friends who own Revolve, we started our business at the same exact time. They went to USC as well. And they went and built their business is worth three billion dollars today. Yeah. And so the same thing, they'll come to me and be like, "Hey, man, how come you haven't?" Done that? <laughs> and, it's like, and it's not. It's and, and it's not even in a condescending way. Right. It's in a way of like, 
what are you doing differently that you haven't that you know we were able to do it because they will come to me like i call you for help i call you for you know all these people are still calling me for advice on you know when the whole black lives matter movement i'm i'm very vocal about my my view on race and life and a lot of those ceos call me and said like how can i have a better perspective on this and how can i be a better uh, partner in the community to actually solve problems. That's an interesting, now let's talk about that for a second. Cause I, cause look at, I'm mixed American Indian and white and all sort of shit. And I grew up on a reservation and I'm an attorney and I'm a fucking kind of, I'm just an argumentative type of guy, just genuinely. Yeah. You're right. So <clears throat> like, you know, sometimes, and I, we'll take it out of the fashion industry because I'm not trying to get you to fuck up your career by saying some crazy shit on this <laughs> fucking show. Yeah, yeah. All right. <clears throat> but the point of the matter is sometimes I see, like, you know, business owners in other, other areas say, like, once the shit breaks out, right, once, once enough people finally got on camera that cops are killing black people, right, people of color, and the shit breaks out, then all of a sudden, like, Starbucks, Howard Schultz is like, hey, Hey, listen, how do we, we want to be a better partner? And like in my mind, I'm always, <laughs> in my mind, I'm always like, yeah, now you want to be a better partner to capitalize on some shit, motherfucker, because you don't want to get your shit burned down next. Mm, but yeah. like, what's the real, like for, and, and then I also acknowledge that there are a lot of business owners who are not racist and they're just doing their thing. They might not be super political, but that might be because they're just trying to build their business and trying to do whatever they're trying to do. Where's the like for you when when somebody like calls you up and they might even be way out of perspective because it's almost crazy to call someone up. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, how do I talk to black people? Dude? Uh, yeah. Jesus Christ, I, I, I got some working for me, but I've never actually talked to them. But uh, <laughs> how do we? Uh, so, how, yeah. So how do you how do you handle all that, or what are your thoughts on that? So here's where I think people, and this is just the reality of life, right? Like. Oh. And, and I, I don't think most people are racist. I honestly don't believe that. I think the problem is they're not exposed. So like, if you're not, like, I'm still in these streets. Like, I'm still talking to kids in the streets mm. daily. Mm. And so I have a very unique perspective of the life that different types of people live. Like, I have friends that are, I have a friend who just bought a $50 million house in Miami. And then I have a friend who's, you know, waiting for the stimulus check, right? Like, right. you know, we have, we, and that gives me perspective. And so when I talk to my friends, we're in these powerful positions to help society. They, they just don't know, right? They don't mm. understand. They don't understand systemic racism because they didn't experience it or they were never around it their whole life. So, the, you know, the, there's a business, a, a business, a white business owner that called me in a different industry. And he was just like, you know, I was always aware. I just did not understand it till I really read up on it. And he was like, I'm going to make some real fucking changes, not only in my business, but my community. And, I, and, and, and he started leaning on me of like, okay, what, how should I be thinking about it to be progressive, to actually make an impact? I don't want to just write a check and say, oh, I gave to fucking Black Lives Matter movement. Here's a hundred grand. It's right. like, no, I'm like, because when they would ask me, People, friends would ask me like, where should I donate? I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not playing that game right now. Mm. I, 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 yeah. I didn't see your fucking staff. Show yeah. me your staff. Show me. Sh do you have diversity in your staff? Do you have, um, do you have black this? Do you have black that? Do you have Latino this? Do you have Latino that? Like why, why is it so hard? Like 
I, as someone who's experienced life fully, I've met all walks of life. Everyone's fucking smart. You just, you never even looked at that pool of people as an, as a, as an opera, like as an option for your staff. And I think like those things make way bigger of an impact than writing a check. So for example, what I'd started was last year, I started an incubator program called next up and it's all about giving black designers a shot. I mean, take streetwear. Streetwear is take TikTok, the largest, one of the most valuable companies on earth now. They have just exploited black music and become bigger than black music, right? right. If, if there wasn't rap, TikTok wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so I I I look at uh I looked at my business and I say, what is the most impactful thing I can do? So I launched a program where we are giving all of our services as a company free to one designer a year. You get access to all my vendors, access to my accounting, my legal, my whatever I have, my warehouse, me, my team. You come to LA, you sit here, and we, we help you build your business for a year. And then it, it was, it, you know, like the, 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 Bi- the Bible quote where you teach a man to fish. Right. And yeah. that's my that's the biggest thing that I can offer to people. And that's what I wanted to teach my colleagues as entrepreneurs. I'm like, it's not about writing a check or just reading a book. It's actually just giving opportunity, right? You just give people the opportunity. They're going to go, most people are going to take advantage of it and go do something great with it. We just have to like give people that normally, and, and, and it's not just a race thing. It's also like a socioeconomic thing. I think sure, that's really yeah. the main problem is that right. like people from low income backgrounds, <laughs> Right. Don't even get a shot. Like I gave this this kid this amazing story, and maybe Lucky remembers him. This is like in 2006, 2007. This kid emails me and goes, "Hey man, I'm from Indiana. Like white kid, hip hopped out. Was like, I want to come and uh, work for you. You're my favorite brand." And I was like, "All right, um, you know, where do you live?" He's like, "Indiana." Well, I'm like, "I'm in LA, man. I don't. I can't help you if you don't come out here." This fucker one day shows up in front of my office <laughs> and and he was like, I will literally take out the trash. I'm like, great, let's start there. Take out the trash. <laughs> right. And he just sat there and sat there and sat there and learned the apparel business. Now him and his wife have like they they're in the creative space. They have an agency. They, they're doing great things. They have a beautiful, beautiful children. They built a family for himself. And I could tell you countless stories mm. where I just gave someone an opportunity mm. and they, we realize, Oh, they're no different than the kid from USC or the kid that went to Harvard. It's the prop. It really comes down to like opportunity in life. And I think those are things that like, when I put pressure on my colleagues and like put away the resume for a second and have a conversation with the person, because you might find from the person that you're, this person's actually incredible and they just haven't been given a shot. Right. Right. And by the way, this has backfired on me plenty of times too, but, but I'll still continue to do it because it, I know that that's making an impact in society. I thought that you were going to say, and that white kid from Indiana, his name was Tom Ford. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I said white, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let me ask you this. Um, because, you know, you're of Indian descent. And so in a race situation, 
Do you feel like because of that, that's put you in an in-between situation where people who are like white or whatever feel comfortable to come to you to mediate a scene? And on the flip side, people who are African-American or Latin can come to you first to mediate the scene. Do you like that position or do you sometimes feel like burdened by that? No, I actually think in being an Indian today is the best ethnic group to be because we've we're welcomed in white america right and we're welcomed in minority america right right? because they view as we are part of them we've 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 slid into a nice little position in Mm -hmm. society as a group of people that i think um it's very advantageous, and this is why you're seeing very successful Indian people, mm. the CEO of Google, the CEO of Microsoft, and you can go down the list of mega companies, CEO of Gap, are now all Indian people. And right. I think, you know, I'm hopeful that that will break the, down the barriers for all brown people and all black people over time. Right. But, you know, there's more Indian CEOs per capita than any other race. Why is that? Like, it's, I mean, we're sure we're, I would say we're a highly educated, we're, we're, we're an educated group of people, but it's, we've just found a sweet spot as a race. Like we're not threatening to people. So people just welcome us in. That's, that's just the real answer of why that's happened. Interesting. That's fascinating. Mm. Um, Let me ask you this. Okay. So, What's what's a book that you love or you like? What 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 are yeah, you reading or what have you read that you like it that that, that you could recommend to people? I'm not a, a big reader, but there's a, 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 a two books that I always tell everyone to read, um, which are Shoe Dog, which is the story of Phil Knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an incredible story of how he started Nike, and then the other book is the uh, Walter Isaac uh, biography on Steve Jobs. And I like that book for a, a very different reason. Um, Shoe Dog, I love it for the story, the journey of what Phil Knight did to build Nike. It's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long it took. And then the Steve Jobs book, I, I particularly enjoy it for the end of the book, which is actually quite sad, which is um, where he is dying. And, you know, that's when he finally starts to make amends with his daughter. And mm-hmm. it just teaches you like all that, you know, m- most men idolize Steve Jobs. And to me, like being successful and being rich and being innovative is cool. But like, what are you going to remember at the end? You're going to remember your kids. You're going to remember your relationships. And I just think that like when you read these books about these titans of industry, mm-hmm. the part about the family always gets them. Like Phil Knight always talks like one of his kids passed and he was like, I fucking regret working all that hard and didn't get to spend time with him. And so my perspective has really changed, you know, as I had kids about time and where I want to spend my life. Mm. Okay. And then what is for music wise, what is a guilty pleasure music where you're like, fuck, I mean, I I have a wide range. I like, uh, Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles and mm-hmm. Sam Cooke. I listen yeah. to those religiously, but then I love, give me a little, give me any little, give me a Atlanta strip club rapper. And I love that too. <laughs> you like that dirty sound? You like that Nelly? You, will you roll? Will you rock Nelly? Yeah. I, I love Nelly in college and all that stuff. But I mean, I'm talking about like, give me any little, little whatever on TikTok that's, yeah. you know, yeah. popping. Yeah. 
I fuck with all that stuff. Right. I love it. And then a little uh, Manio. This guy used to yeah. put Manio on, dude, and get the whole fucking. <laughs> and then boom, and then he'd have a fucking Stevie Nicks, motherfucking Sarah, dude, like. Right, hey, yeah. D's got a great, great, great musical fucking. He's just got great musical taste, man. Right. Get some, he knows what the pump up jams are. What about <laughs> what about um, movies or documentaries? Like, what what are ones that you really like? Um, honestly, the thing that I'm I like honestly, I don't like anything too serious. Life is too serious, so I I just enjoy something that's. I like Seinfeld. Like, yeah, honestly, yeah, like I want something lighthearted. I like dumb rom-coms i just like i want to be at laughed entertained like my my daily life is so hectic and stressful that if i have time to watch television i want to laugh and then let me ask you this uh what is the best dessert like if you're gonna fucking say fuck it i'm gonna eat some dessert motherfucker what's the dd reese chocolate chip cookie nice hey d lasso can i got just my last couple go ahead D, you're running. What suggestions do you have, advice do you have for all of our runners out there? People that run. But running? I mean, yeah, man. running is my passion. Um, I Running is my meditation. I think the biggest, I, I think everyone should run. The key to being a, a, a runner, get the right pair of shoes mm-hmm. and your life will change. If you what get the wrong that? pair of shoes... And it's it's really for based on your foot, right? But your so foot, like, your foot. You run with mine's Hoka. There's a brand called Hoka that I run in. I've been running. I ran a marathon in it. I've ran several half marathons in it, and it's just a perfect shoe for me. And I got told to wear a half size bigger when I was an avid runner, or a full size bigger, and it changed my my knees used to hurt when I ran. Now, I mean, now I can run any distance and my legs don't hurt because i have the right shoes and it was as simple as fixing that problem wow. any, anytime you're gonna do like uh one of those david goggins crazy marathons those hundred milers or whatever those are if if i was retired and had time i would do that oh, but that. you have to have time to train right d is there anything that we because we're going to start wrapping up now what is what should we keep on that what do you want people to know like as far as like business wise what do you is there anything coming up or you want our listeners to check out um yeah you know check out the subscription service today is called menlo club i still Mm -hmm. think what we're doing there is extremely special we have customers now that have been with us for more than five years so you know check that out and and then you'll get exposure to all of our brands there and it's an inexpensive way to look good feel good and have like a little treat for yourself every month I love yeah. it. Menlo Club. Dope. Menlo How do Club. they find it? How do they find it? How do our people So if find you go it? to themenlohouse.com and hit join the club, you'll see uh you'll see kind of our offering and you can use um the code GameStop. Yeah. Yeah. And uh you know, it'll give you a, a pretty sizable discount on your first package. That's awesome. Menlo Club. We're going to start we're going to start letting people know. Thank you. Get out to Menlo Club. D, um, just thanks, man. You're yeah. you're you're definitely somebody that's on my radar. When when I need help in this thing, man, I know I can call this guy, man. You've got I just uh I just appreciate you and I appreciate all your knowledge, everything you've shared with me and working with you and right. man, just like you're that guy. And I'm glad you could come on the show today and share some of that with us. Right. And and D, thank you very much. And by the way, uh my inbox just flooded up with all of our listeners. I've got a lot of white listeners in North Dakota. They all want a job. 
So I'm going <laughs> to forward them on to you. Yeah. They're going to show up tomorrow asking to take <laughs> out the trash. Yeah. Um, and again, thank you. I, I love the access that you gave, and, uh, and and I love a lot of your answers because they they were genuine, fucking real, bro. And I love that. So uh, thank you very much. D. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. That was a fun conversation. Yeah, um, my brother. Hey, if you need an attorney, Ovando Bowen. Yeah. LLP. He's got like twenty in the Rolodex. That's all right. He yeah. hasn't got the right need, one. He doesn't. Yeah. Got, he doesn't got one that'll bring wear braids to court. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm always looking for a new attorney. All right, there <laughs> it is. There. All right. Um, you got anything, Sean? Come on. All your audio needs. Sean at hard hardluckshow.com. Hey D, if you ever want to start doing your own music, that's your beats guy right there. Yeah, Sean. he's producing plenty right. of music. Right. Let's do it. I want to give a shout out to uh, you know the Soul Assassins. Uh, shout out to my brother Stevan Oreo and. Everybody at Supermax Hardware, supermaxhardware.com, uh, Big Burn and the Cookies family, Vibes family, and everybody in the city of Santa Monica. Right on. I just did all my shot, my uh, blow-ups or whatever. Go to my Instagram, check out my fucking poetry, and my Chumahan underscore. I also record when I run uh, motivational talks while I'm running, because yeah. I'm a runner, oh, wow. too. I'm a runner, too. Yeah, 10, nice. miles, 10 miles every morning. Wow. Yeah. All right, everybody. Like we do about this time. Adios, amigos, from the Hard Luck Show.